Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine, and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. Our last story in this series of Punch a Hole in the Wind keeps us in the 1970s, but takes us across the Atlantic to France and a wonderful yet rather particular racehorse who remains the highest rated European filly since the war. When renowned art dealer Daniel Wildenstein started buying horses, one of his first purchases in 1971 was a yearling filly by the legendary Seabird, out of priceless gem, who had beaten the wonderful buck passer fair and square in the 1965 Futurity Stakes. Sent initially into training with Albert Klimcher in France, Wildenstein could have called her anything he liked. But with almost fatalistic prescience, he chose Allez France, meaning come on France or let's go France. And she didn't let him or her country down, becoming one of the great post-war fillies to grace the European turf. But was grace the right word? Opinion was oddly divided. Some critics called her charming and most feminine and there are plenty of close-up portraits that back this up. Conversely, others called her ugly and masculine, which all goes to show that beauty must be in the eye of the beholder. Wildenstein's broker, at least, was sure. When she came up for auction in the US in 1971, and Wildenstein saw her sumptuous pedigree, he passed on clear instructions. He said to his broker, If that filly is pretty and looks like her mother, you have to buy her. If she looks like her father, Forget about her. Ouch. Poor seabird. But $200,000 was a big sum for a filly at the time. No matter. What she unquestionably did have was bags of class. Even though she was a very late foal, born in late May, she was already destroying her male peers on the training grounds. Stable jockey and 15-time Cavache d'Or winner Yves Semarte rode her on the gallops and hopped off one day saying, this is money well invested. She first demonstrated it at the racecourse at two in the eight furlong Criterium des Pouliches. Unleashing a monstrous sprint in the straight, Saint-Martin was effusive afterwards. She was amazing, he said. I had the impression that she was going three times faster than the others. She passed her opponents as though they had already stopped. He wasn't the only one bowled over, as it was enough to make her champion two-year-old French filly. At three, she developed into a machine, but there was initially a problem. Noting that Alephance would quickly get anxious and sweat until she had soaked her blanket when left alone in her box, Klimchow realised that she needed company. He plumped for a rabbit, but it ended up very unfortunately for the poor bunny, who didn't last the night under the tetchy filly's hooves. This was attempted twice more, with predictably similar results. What she needed, they figured, was a sheep. Enter Bastion. Although for some reason when the UK and US press found out about this, they called him Steve. Regardless, her fluffy companion would sleep in her stable and travel in her horse box to every race. They were inseparable. Even if on occasion Alephance let her complexities get the better of her and lift the poor beast in her teeth and throw him against the fortunately padded stable wall. But now a more relaxed filly, she cruised to victory in the Poule de Cédé French 1000 Guineas and Prix de Diane, the French Oaks, 
as well as the Prix Vermeil as her warm-up for her first tilt at the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. Each time, she revealed a devastating turn of foot, even on her preferred softer ground, which her rivals couldn't compete with. Starting favourite for the Arc, she came a creditable second to the unpredictable and mercurial Rheingold, before rounding off with another second on her first foray abroad at the Champion Stakes at Newmarket. Wildenstein, meanwhile, had to deny rumours that the only reason he had called her Alle France was purely to confuse the English and their loyalties when she ran over there and they bet on her. Regardless, she was again top of the French filly rankings for the year. Saint-Martin noted something interesting about her running style. Riding Alle France generates a unique sensation, he said. When she accelerates, she lowers herself by a good 30 centimetres as though streamlining herself to the turf. By this stage, a rivalry had already built up in the press between the two top French fillies, Alephrance and Dahlia. Yet rivalry felt like a very forced word. Over their careers, the two fillies met six times, and Wildenstein's filly came out top every time. Yet they were chalk and cheese. All their meetings were in France. And whilst Alephrance hated travelling, not least as Bastien or Steve wasn't allowed to come with her, Dahlia seemed to sprout wings only when she was abroad, and would proceed to win a host of big races in the UK and the US, pioneering the globe-trotting campaigns of top horses that continue strongly to this day. Meanwhile, as with so many horses, Alephrance got even better at four. She had also moved to the stables of Argentine-born trainer Angel Pena, whose horse-whisperer abilities with fillies were tested by the ever-jumpy Alephrance. Even so, the filly showed she had lost none of her class by pulverising a good quality field in the Prix Gagné by five lengths, and then trotting up in both the Prix d'Espagne and the Prix d'Arcourt. There were no problems either in her arc prep race, the Prix Foy. The 1974 arc was immortalised not just by the filly's courage, but by that of her jockey, Yves Saint-Martin. He had fractured his foot and hip badly in a fall just a week before the big race. Doctor's orders three weeks in bed. In normal circumstances, he wouldn't have considered riding. He was still walking around on crutches on the day of the race, making sure to hide them before Wildenstein saw him. But this was his beloved filly, the greatest he ever rode, and it was the Ark. Further, he knew that if he didn't ride her, the mount would very likely be offered to his friend and great rival, Lester Piggott who had been circling Wildenstein like a humorless vulture since Saint-Martin's fall. The French champion spent the week pumping himself full of xylocaine up until 20 minutes before the race, trusting that Alephrance wouldn't need to be hard-ridden. In the event, as two-to-one on favourite and against a top-draw European field, she exploded clear two furlongs from home, only to be remorselessly hunted down by leading filly Comtesse de Loire. Saint-Martin, in agony and with no strength in his leg, pushed through the pain barrier, and she prevailed by a head. He always claimed that he never whipped Alephrance because he knew how hard she was already trying. That day, he couldn't have even if he'd wanted to, as after the adulation, he gulped two glasses of champagne and then collapsed into his doctor's arms. But, unbeaten that season, Alephrance was the darling of Europe, and her timeform rating in 1974 remains the highest ever achieved by a European filly since the war. Kept in training at five, things started promisingly, with another easy victory in the Gagny and then the Prix Dollar. By the autumn, however, she wasn't happy, 
and in the arc, starting as favourite for the third year in a row, she could only manage fifth to the rank outside a star appeal. A second attempt at the champion stakes in Newmarket again ended with a second place, even though she was clearly not comfortable on the ground. There, her wonderful career should have been wrapped up. But connections, perhaps seeing the immense success that Dahlia was having in the US, thought it would make sense for Alifrance to try her luck there too. But they should have paid more attention to Bastion, or Steve. As Alifrance was being boarded to North America, it was not possible to procure the right papers for the sheep. And both he and the great mare had a heartbreaking tantrum as it became clear to them that they were being separated. She hated travelling anyway, and now she was miserable. So she ran only once, poorly in the National Championship Handicap at Santa Anita, before finally being retired. Alifrance was a moderate success as a broodmare in Kentucky, her two best offspring being the Group 3 winning colts Air de France by Seattle Slough and Action Française by Nureyev. Always one to do things her way, she only foaled standing up. On her passing, there was no hesitation in burying her next to Man o' War, one great next to another. To find out more about Alifrance and other greats in the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. And that completes the first season of Punch a Hole in the Wind. I hope you've enjoyed listening to all these stories of greats from the past, and hopefully there'll be more stories of more greats from the past soon. Until then, this is Ollie Hardy signing off and saying thank you for listening.